All right, we're finishing up Mark today. We're taking the final chapter. We're going to see what we can see. Mark chapter 16 is our text. It's a shorter one comparatively. Here's what it says. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint Jesus. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb where the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. But he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Uh, He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and as they mourned and wept. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And Jesus said to them, "'Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature.' He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after that, the Lord had spoken to them. He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is, is so interesting because you get so much interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And what we've tried to do with this chapter-by-chapter chapter series is focus especially on the disciples and on those things which Jesus had said to them and laid out for them. Uh, because Jesus calls his disciples to something. He calls us to a life and a standard and a fullness that he then demonstrated on the pages of Scripture. And so looking at the disciples, we're able to see where they either missed the mark or hit the mark. And hopefully we've been able to apply some of those things to our lives since we are called as disciples so that we're focused on God as, as, as much as possible and living out our lives as profitable servants. And so the final chapter really is no different. Effectively, it is the interaction between Jesus and his disciples, especially the 11 there. There's not really much detail about the resurrection. Uh, There's really not much detail about the ascension. I mean, those are two pretty remarkable and amazing things, but at least in the Gospel of Mark, there's really not very much detail about that. It's as if those things sort of are just the setting of, of, of Jesus having a back and forth with his disciples there. So we want to see what he did and what they did and then figure out what we should do. We see different disciples having a variety of reactions to what was happening. Some believed, some didn't believe, some acted, some stayed seated. You know, there's a whole spectrum of response 
among these believers. The same, of course, is true you know, of, of our own lives from day to day. As the Lord interacts with us, we have a spectrum of, of response that we need to evaluate. But when we look at Jesus, we see him really busy as usual revealing himself to his people. Man, Jesus is pretty busy for being the risen Lord, you know, just going and revealing himself and kind of bouncing all over the little region there. He made sure that his disciples knew he was alive. He made sure they understood what had happened. He made sure that they heard what he was about to do, and he made sure that they knew what their part to play was. Um, that is the kind of revelation that God loves to give. You know, if we're not careful, I think we f- can fall into the trap of thinking that God is, is too hard to really understand or, or that God is so complicated and so unfathomable that we just have to either experience a feeling or we have to get swing the other way and get just all intellectual in what we think about God and get all, you know, sort of academic when it comes to our relationship with him. Um, you see this in, in different ways. You see, you know, what we used to talk about a lot more when it was, you know, a, a lot more prominent, but the emergent church movement, you know, the big idea in that is that God isn't really understandable and he's so high above us that how could you ever fathom even one tiny piece of God? And so we kind of just experience him through Eastern thought and, and all these sorts of other things. But then uh, you swing the other way and there's whole groups of Christians who, you know, sort of, you know, just approach God intellectually and academically and, and they kind of make God as if he's just a system of theology. Um, but what we're seeing in this text is that the God of the Bible shows up all the time and he says, okay, here I am. This is me. Here I am. Here's what's going on. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what I want you to do. That's what Jesus did in this passage. Um, and he's, he's really plain about it. He reveals and then he specifically sends people to carry his revelation to others. He did it with Mary. He did it with the three women. He did it with the two disciples on the road. You know, Jesus said, here's what's going on. Here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and go to these following people and carry this message. Bible commentator H.A. Ironside points out that Jesus reveals himself to us to such a degree that all our doubts are blown away. And when you look at how Jesus revealed himself in the Gospels and you look at the revelation of the Bible, it should blow away all of our doubts. Um, Once we've seen what Jesus has said in his word and what he has done in our own lives and what he is doing all over the world, then doubt becomes a choice, just like faith becomes a choice. Um, That's the idea. You, You get down to verses 15 through 18 of our text And you see that what God calls us to is belief. I mean, Jesus says, okay, what I want you to do is believe. I want you to choose to believe. I want you to choose to not doubt because I've proven myself through revelation. He calls his people to faith and he he presents it to us as a choice that we make based on his revelation and based on his power and based on the demonstration of who he is. And so what we find in this text and all over the Bible is that our God is a God who explains to us who he is and what's going on and what his plan is. Um, But his people are then to carry that explanation and deliver it to specific targets that God has sent them to. And this is pretty interesting because Jesus spent about 40 days revealing himself to different people at different times. You know, Paul talks about it. You can read about it in the Gospels. Paul talks about how at one point he appeared to over 500 at once. We see him talking to the the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We see him talking to Mary Magdalene. You know, he, he appeared to different people at different times. But what we see in our text is that he waited to show himself to the 11 apostles until after he had sent messengers to them. And I thought that was pretty interesting. 
First, the angel sent the three women to tell the disciples and Peter, they said, that Jesus was risen and that they could meet with him in Galilee. They said, hey, Jesus is alive. He's risen. You can, he's going to Galilee. Why don't you go tell the, the eleven that that's what's going on? They didn't do that because they were afraid. Then Jesus himself sent Mary Magdalene to the disciples with the same message. Uh, he said, hey, this is what's going on. I'm revealing myself to you. This is what's about to happen. I want you to go and tell these people what I've told you. After that, text says that Jesus appeared to two other disciples. They were probably Cleopas and his traveling companion there on the road to Emmaus that we read about in the Gospel of Luke, who then went and shared the same message with the disciples. But each time, what do we see the 11 doing? We see the disciples not believing. They say, yeah, we don't, we don't buy that. You know, sorry, we don't believe you. Uh, so then finally, Jesus appeared to them himself. And what did he do? He explained to them what was going on. He rebuked the hardness of their hearts. And then he laid out not only his plan for the future, but also his plan for their lives individually. And so now we need to apply these things. First, let's think about the uh, apostles. It was just the 11 since Judas had gone and, and hung himself there in the potter's field. But the text says that they were full of unbelief and their hearts were hardened. That's what Jesus said to them. He said, hey, you know what, guys? I'm here revealing myself to you. I have a wonderful plan for your life. But your hearts are hard right now, and you're unbelieving, and I, we need to deal with that. Um, these were men who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. Peter and John had seen the empty tomb. We know that from other gospel accounts. Now, as always, what we try to do, we want to cut these guys a lot of slack. Uh, I, you know, I don't think we can imagine how difficult this time was to be a Christian, this time between the crucifixion and the day of Pentecost. I mean, I mean it's just crazy to... to, to Try to put yourself in the position that, that the 11 were in there. It was just rough. Um, plus, these guys had not yet received the Holy Spirit, so I'm not trying to dog them out. However, their response in this text is given to us as an example so that we can line it up against our own hearts and evaluate our own lives. And, and we certainly can be a hard-hearted and unbelieving people. Even if you're, you walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus, it doesn't mean you're immune from allowing your heart to be hardened, and we need to be wary of that. You know, we are generally a conservative group, you know, in just about every sense of the word, and that's not a bad thing. Um, we also are very well off compared to the rest of the world and the rest of history. Again, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. God placed us in this time and in this place on purpose, and we shouldn't be upset about that. However, those characteristics can tend to push us toward a more unbelieving or a more hard-hearted mindset in general. We need to recognize that and, and watch for that. Um, you know, we as, as people who believe in the literal inspiration of the scripture, we don't believe that all God wants for us is an emotional experience in our relationship with him. We don't believe that. We believe that God is, reveals truth and he reveals teaching and that there's things that we can know from his word and that his word is for life and godliness. Uh, now, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ get really focused on emotional experience and, and, and what you see in um, certain groups or in, in certain traditions is that you see that they, they love the Lord, but they jettison his word altogether and they, they make the relationship with God all about an emotional um, experience. Um, but if we're not careful, what we start to do is start jettisoning spiritual affection and emotion ourselves in our relationship with Christ. And that's not right either. You know, God doesn't want to 
just uh, approach us academically. And that's something that some of our other Christian friends do, some other traditions and, and other groups. They don't believe, they go as far as to say, hey, the gifts of the Spirit are done, miracles are done, God doesn't do anything like that anymore. And so they, they, they've sort of reasoned their way out of those things. And so God becomes more like a professor than he does an intimate friend. And, and so we have to live in this tension between extremes because this is what we see presented in the Bible. Um, even though we may lean one way or another, it's important that we not become hard-hearted or unbelieving. And so using our text as an example, if a reputable brother in Christ comes and tell us, tells us that God performed a miracle. You know, when K.P. Yohannan, you know, who has a, a trustworthy record and, and is being used by God, when he comes and says, here's the miracles that have been performed in India this year, it, it is just hard-hearted to say that's not true because I decided that God doesn't do miracles anymore. You know, um, and... I'd love to get some of these super, super, super conservative guys who are cessationists and think miracles are all done. I'd love, you know, for a couple of those pastors to sit down with K.P. O'Hannon and tell him, no, your people in India are lying. God doesn't perform miracles anymore. Where do you get that basis? Well, I've decided that it's, it's weird for God to perform miracles, so I, I've decided, and he doesn't need to do that anymore because, after all, God is more like a professor. He's more just like a, an academic than he is a friend. Um, on the other hand, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody comes and says, the Lord spoke to me this for you and it's not scriptural, well, then we're not to receive that either because we don't relate to God through opinion or we don't relate to God through just emotional experience. I mean, we have to temper these things out. We have to understand that we are called to um, understand the truth of God's word and to, to, to hide God's word in our heart and that not one jot or tittle of the word of God is going to pass away. But we're also called to intimate fellowship with a person, a living person that we're to have an actual relationship with. God is a God of truth, but he's also a God of radical transformation. And so what happened was, you know, when Jesus came to the apostles, they had just said, we've already decided, we don't believe what you're saying. Yeah, you're trustworthy. You know, you're, you're, the, you're Cleopas and his friend, or you're Mary Magdalene. You guys are trustworthy. You love the Lord like we do. But we've decided that what you've said isn't true. So we're just going to stay seated at this table yeah, Jesus came and rebuked them for that. Uh, Jesus came and he said, okay, guys, you need to get on board. You need to get on board. You need to allow your hearts to be softened and tenderized a little bit. So God has a power. He has a plan. And if we're always doubting all of that, if we're always doubting all of our fellow Christians and always kind of setting ourselves up in opposition against all our brothers and sisters, then we're going to find ourselves seated at the table rather than carrying the message of hope to the world. So God is a God of truth, but he is also a God of radical transformation. And so... We need to filter everything against the scriptures. We're commanded to do that in the Bible. But being biblical and being hard-hearted are very different things. Um, but sometimes we confuse the two. Sometimes we're fooling ourselves into thinking we're being spiritual when we're in, in reality we're, we're just doubting that God might do something special. We're, we're giving ourselves an out for not having to take steps of faith. And, and the Bible says, hey, you want to be a Christian, you're going to live by faith. You're going to live by taking a step out and trusting in me that I'm going to do something special, that I'm going to do something radical for my kingdom through your life. And so uh, it's an interesting tension we're called to in the world. And, and uh, it, it's important that we not doubt the miraculous, that we don't just keep our thoughts all the time on the level of human reason. 
what we need to remind ourselves of is that our God can make the sun stand still. He can. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His power remains the same today as it was in the scriptures. We'll, we'll get to that in just a, a quick minute. But there's something else that we see here. We've already mentioned it. And that's the other disciples in the text, the, the, God, the people other than the eleven. There's the three women at the beginning, and then Mary Magdalene, and the two disciples on the road. What you see in them and what you see Jesus detailing at the end of the passage there when he talks about his disciples in general is that his people have a message to carry. I mean, you, you, you can't get out of Mark 16 without thinking that a Christian, a disciple, has a message to carry. God reveals himself to us so that we can then go and explain him to others. And, and what I like about that is while God shows us that he has a plan to go to all the world with the gospel, he also gives specific disciples, specific people to share with. He comes to Mary and he says, man, this is what's going to happen. I'm revealing myself. The whole world's going to be turned upside down. You are going to go and tell the following people. That's who I want you to go and share with. And that's our life. God has scattered you to this place and in this time because he has specific people in mind for you to evangelize and minister to. And, and he says that when we do that, he will go with us in power to confirm our lives and the mission he's put us on. Uh, a big buzzword right now in Christianity today is missional. You, you've maybe heard this, you know, people are talking about being missional a lot. Uh, it's not a bad word or a bad idea. The problem is everybody uses it and everybody has their own spin on it. So one guy saying missional might mean something different than another guy saying missional. Well, I think I'd rather say that we need to understand that if you're a Christian, you're on a mission right now. Jesus says, man, you are on a mission right now because I've revealed myself to you. I've explained my plan to you. I've filled you with my power, and I have targets in mind for you to go and share with. Uh, God already has places and moments and specific individuals that you are to deliver this message to. And the Christian life is about carrying out that mission in the territory that God has called us to. And then seeing how God supernaturally prepares the way for you to carry out that mission he's put you on. It's not always easy. I mean, it can be scary and difficult. You look at the three women at the top of the text. They were sent out on a mission by God, but they left afraid and, and confused. They didn't tell their intended audience what had happened. Now, that's not what we want to do, you know, because that's not what we're asked to do. We're not asked to keep the message to ourselves. We're asked to go and tell the world. Instead, what we want is to go where God shows us to be vocal about what God has done and who he is. Remember, this is the God who leads and reveals to those whose heart are soft and shapeable in his hands. And like Mary Magdalene or the two disciples on the road, God doesn't hold us responsible for the response of our targets. And that's really important. When Jesus came with a rebuke in this passage, he rebuked the 11 who had received the message, not the messengers. He didn't rebuke Mary Magdalene and say, you weren't convincing enough. You know, work on your sales pitch. They did what they were supposed to do, the messengers. They completed that mission that Christ gave them. You know, sometimes when we're out there serving God, people don't go for it. Okay, they don't believe. That's not on us. That's not really our problem. If we're carrying the message that we've been given to the people we've been sent to, if we're speaking the truth in love and doing what God asks us to do, then the response is between them and God, who also is revealing himself to them by his power. It's all explained very succinctly in Romans 10, 14 and 15. It says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? So it's sort of a backwards ex explanation. You are a person who understands who God is. God sends you to preach. You go and preach to specific people. And then those people have to respond 
to God. That's the plan. We've been sent so that others might believe. But for others to believe that God has saved them, we must first believe that God has sent us. And we have to get going. We can't spend our lives just waiting because God says we're on a mission right now. And, and if we set out on those tasks that God has given us, he not only goes before us in power to prepare the way, but he also follows up behind us with power to confirm and demonstrate the truth of the gospel. God is all about backing up what he says and what his representatives say when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. God goes on record here as saying, I will show my strength, I will show my power, I will show my provision through your life if you are willing to be a vessel that is pliable in my hands. That doesn't mean we're all going to perform miracles. Don't read this text, especially at the end, and then go home and drink Drano, okay? That's, <laughs> that's not what these verses mean. These specific things that Jesus were talking about were an exp explanation, commentators point out, of apostolic signs and wonders that were going to happen that we read about in the book of Acts. The idea is the same for all disciples, that if we do what God has asked us to do, if we take up the message and carry it to the people God has sent us to, then God will confirm our lives. He will honor that service supernaturally and miraculously if need be. God says that the signs of his power fill and follow those who believe and carry his message of salvation. That's the deal. But it starts with belief. It starts with the belief that you are sent today to someone. Belief is the catalyst of this text. Belief gets you up from the table and out on the front lines where God is pouring out his power and gaining territory for his kingdom. And that's not something we want to miss out on. So this morning, we need to remember the calling we've received. We're privileged to go out and preach the gospel while the Lord works with us. And if we're staying tenderhearted, if we're staying full of faith, then we will see God confirming our steps, directing our lives, and manifesting his power with incredible, radical transformation. He's given us the targets, so today we get to take a shot.